I just watched an incredible 30 minutes on ESPN all about Blackfeet boxing and it's just about how women are doing boxing but their culture, a lot of these women are also going missing. So, shout out to the Loring family. Their daughter Ashley is still missing. It's been over two years. And if you didn't just watch it, I I highly suggest that you do find it. Um, it is very good. There's gonna be it was just it was just powerful powerful stuff, man. To know that you know your kid can leave your house and never return, and and also most of the most of the people that are getting taken are females too. So. That's uh pretty scary. Scary, bro. Uh yeah, um So we got a guest today. That's right. Get out your notebooks, your calculators, and uh yeah. as as Penny said on the Big Bang Theory, I got my geek on boys. Yep, it's um we we have um we have Max, um... Max Greenfield. At Thank one you. point, he, um, he was an intern for the Washington Nationals. So, he's not he's not just your, you know, Twitter stupid head. He's, he's really smart. So, open up your ears, and we're going to teach you something tonight. Yay, learning! We are here with the stat man himself, Max. How's it going? Doing well, how about yourself? Good, good. Hey, Max, um, this is James, the other half of the sports dude. So I want to ask, um, how have you been doing with this pandemic, and how and what are your thoughts with all the things going on in the world, the athletes stepping up with social justicing? With the Black Lives Matter movement, what's your thoughts on everything that's happening in the world today? Uh, first, I want to reciprocate, say, um, hope you guys are doing well in this pandemic. Obviously, the people who understand that it's still going on, so uh, you'll stay indoors if you can, social distance, wear a mask. If you want to be able to see live sports again, wear a mask, so that way we can uh, you know, get the curve down lower. Uh, what I would say about what's going on in the current situation, you know, there's obviously, you know, protests still going on across the country to, uh, you know, bring social justice reform and uh, police reform, and I hope that succeeds. Obviously, I'm very much in favor of the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, been 400 years of oppression in this country for black people, and things need to change. It's not on them to explain why they're oppressed. It's on people like myself, white people, to take it upon themselves and educate themselves and be an ally and understand what they can do for the movement. Uh, I think athletes, you know, sort of recognize that this is a moment in time that they have a huge platform for 
advocate for change, then, you know, obviously with leaks restarting, that gives them an even bigger platform, more people to, you know, to pay attention to them and everything. And I hope that they continue to use their platform to advocate for change. You know, the NBA has been doing a good job of supporting their players and what they want to do. And I think that the NBA should continue to do that. Uh, I, I think that the players want to advocate for change while playing and, you know, kneel at the anthem, whatever they want to do. I think that I have, they have my full support in doing that. I'm not going to tell them how they should go about it. I think whatever they feel is right is perfectly fine. Um, I would also say that, you know, in the MLB, I hope that MLB doesn't crack down too hard on any form of protest that goes on from MLB players. You know, it's kind of been seen as a white man sport for a long time, and I hope that starts to change a little bit and we sort of recognize that the game is more diverse than that, even if it needs to get better. But um, I'm hopeful that athletes continue to use their platform for change. I think what Major League Baseball should do, similar to what NBA is doing with the jerseys, except do it with the cleats, right? For all year, you know, instead of a player's weekend, throughout the regular season and the playoffs, because it's just going to be, you know, a little over a full half a season for, for what this year is. Let them personalize their cleats, whether it's hashtag Black Lives Matter or Breonna Taylor or George Floyd, something like that. And then, right, NBA is putting Black Lives Matter um, on, on both sides of the court. You can do that maybe behind home plate. Or, or where, or on the sides of the grass, like like where Yankees would put ALDS, put Black Lives Matter, you know, something like that, and do what the A's are doing. The lowest is forty nine dollars. The highest is one twenty nine, and fans can put their faces on a cutout board. And Michael K actually started this idea a month ago on TMKS. But, and then the larger fee you pay, where if a baseball hits your cutout, you get a baseball. And then all proceeds are um, going to charity. And maybe, and maybe you don't have to necessarily do $49. You know, I think the minimum should be at least 20 You know, of course, donate what you can. But I, I think most people would pay $20 to put their face on, on a cut. On the cutout. Yeah, I mean, I agree. That's that's all. I, I like the cleats idea. The baseball. As long, I, I remember people were getting into it over Bryce Harper quote from 2016 that baseball lacks expression. Baseball's long had a problem with giving its players expression. And I agree. I think the cleats are a good idea. You know, I think if someone wants to have a sleeve that sort of says the same thing, that's fine by me too. Like, I think whatever a player wants to do is perfectly fine. I also agree with you that the paint on the field is a good idea. Uh, I'd like to see that. I mean, I don't think that happens, but I think it's a good idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, also you know, the foul balls thing, that's a great idea as well. I remember Michael Kay mentioning that, and then the next day or two, a couple of teams were saying they were going to do that. Uh, foul ball thing, also good. You know, proceeds go to charity. It's great. Uh, I mean, I think athletes and leagues are in a very good position right now to, you know, be leaders for change, be the leaders in activism. But, you know, as people start to tune into sports, 
you know, my fear is that people will want it as a distraction. People will get upset, but I think, you know, got to come from their perspective. It's like, it doesn't really matter to them. You could be a Tory Hunter type, someone who's at the top of his game, one of the best players in baseball, and then get the cops called on you in your own home and get a gun pointed at you in your own home. Like, you know, doesn't discrimination from the police doesn't leave just because you're an athlete. So I'm hopeful that the players continue to advocate for change and hope the leagues support them. I know the NBA will. I'm hopeful that the NFL has learned its lesson. And uh, I'm hopeful MLB also does as well. I agree. And I definitely, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Um, now, let's, now, the fun stuff is you do your stats this year when you want to intern for Nat Allen. So what goes through doing stats? Because now, nowadays, baseball, and not just baseball, a lot of sports are getting criticized by going heavily into analytics. So how can how can baseball just to with baseball can integrate how how the old how the old um, days were played and incorporate new analytic ways like what the Nationals kind of were doing last year? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, and it's you know definitely a question that I, I get a lot. Uh, I think what people have to understand is that the analytics don't really say. You have to change the way you had to play. Baseball's always been about getting on base, hitting the ball hard, and limiting hard contact, getting strikeouts, and limiting guys who get on base, right? Those are just fundamental, you know, parts of baseball. And so all the analytics do is try and sort of, like, capture that value. You know, and a lot of sabermetrics, they value players who hit the ball very hard, hit the ball over the fence, and get on base a lot. Those are inherently very good things in baseball. From a pitcher's perspective, it values guys who strike a lot of guys out, guys who don't walk a lot of guys, and guys who limit hard contact. Again, limiting the things that hitters are trying to do. So they've never really, let's say, you know, changed the way baseball's been played outside of maybe like the shifting and how starting pitching is used. But outside of that, it's still the same game. It's just, you know, people start to realize, hey, if a guy pulls the ball 65% of the time, don't you think we should put fielders over there so that way he, like, gets out? Not really that wild of a concept in my mind, but, you know, some people get upset because the messenger can be a little harsh, and, you know, I've talked to people in MLB organizations, and they tell me that that's the hardest part, is, like, you can have all this data, and if you can't communicate it properly, then it's, you know, not really worthwhile. That's true. Uh, it, it isn't really worthwhile. Uh, if you are the smartest person in the room, but you can't tell people how smart you are, then it's really kind of worthless. You're not really that smart. So, you know, how do we go about our message and conveying the capital fan and general observer is really important and you know I think the best way to go about it is that to be you know open minded that you know people are going to be hesitant to change there might be some pushback but you just have to try and get them to understand of like how we analytics people or people who work in baseball how they use the numbers now they evaluate players is just the future of the game and they're always trying to learn more and that's not to say that the old ways were bad. It's just to say that things changed. And we all of a sudden we had more information, new information, and people changed their minds. It's sort of like you have an opinion about something, and then more information comes out, and then you change your opinion. You shouldn't stick to your opinion if 
the new information positive, you know, should make you change it. Like that's just living in ignorance and you don't want to do that. So what I would tell people is, you know, keep an open mind. Um, you don't have to understand everything right away. Some of the stuff's very complicated. I'm not going to deny that. Uh, but you know, just keep an open mind with everything. Uh, to the to the new people, to the new way people, to the analytic people, I'd say keep an open mind as well. That not everyone's going to understand what you're saying, and not everyone's going to agree with you, and that's okay. But as long as you are, you know, trying to be nice about it and trying to be respectful about it, eventually it'll come around. Sometimes, as I've said before, there's like people don't want to listen in both groups, and when that happens. You just gotta either ignore them or call them out. Uh, but you know, the, the messenger really helps the message, and I'm hoping it's been okay. But I'm hoping that the messenger improves, and that helps with the message. That's very true. Um, what would you say would be the top three analytics? for offense and pitching? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, it depends on what you're talking about, obviously. If you're just talking about measuring performance and so what we call descriptive statistics, for offense, I would say way to runs created plus or fan graphs is the best. I would then say um, expected Woba or X Woba off of baseball savant is also very good. And then I would say that either just straight Woba or even a, even a stat like ISO is very good. What does um, Woba stand for? So Wade Runs Created Plus, WRC Plus, it's basically just taking you know, everybody's Woba, comparing it to league average. Woba is weighted on base average, which is basically combining the triple slash line, all three facets of it, into one number. Um, and then it takes... Plus takes that global value, compares it to league average, and then adjusts it for ballpark. So certain teams, you know, a hitter hitting 310, 408, 560 in San Francisco is going to be a very different hitter than a 310, 408, 560 hitter in Colorado. Um, you know, so way to run the grade plus accounts for that. x is good because it sort of says how hard they were hitting the ball and what they should have done based on their quality of contact. Um, and quality of contact is sort of a relatively new mainstream term, but it's basically just, you know, the ball ropes a ball. If a guy like Aaron Judge comes up and it's a ball 105 miles per hour down the line and it gets caught, you know, Hit the you know hit the crap out of the ball, so you know that's a good thing. It just got caught. When guys who do that consistently and hit the ball very hard are going to see good results. Um, ISO is sort of like a measure of power. I'm not sure it's the like top three hitting statistic, but I think Wade Runs Curve Plus and X will sort of cover most of the grounds in terms of descriptive, and then ISO is just basically it's your slugging percentage minus uh, captured by batting average. So it just basically tells you how good a power hitter somebody is. Another metric you could use is called uh, DRC plus. Um, that's more predictive though, and that's sort of like it puts heavy emphasis on home run strikeouts and walks to sort of see how good of a hitter you will be in the next season. Um, obviously, predictive measures on offense and, and pitching are not 100 percent accurate. Like you know, there's a lot of things we don't know about that can affect metrics, you know, a breakout can just be as simple as somebody changed their batting stance slightly, like look at Gio Urshela, he changed his batting stance a little bit, and 
of a sudden he had a monster year last year. Sometimes it's easy fixes like that, but there's no indication that that's going to happen when we sign the guy. Um, and you look at his numbers. Uh, for pitching, um, the sort of best way, there's a lot of different metrics out there. Um, the best one to look at, I would probably say, is strikeout minus walk percentage in that guys who strike a lot of guys out and limit walks really well are going to be tend to be your better pitchers. And that's usually just because if they're striking a lot of guys out, that means they're limiting the balls in play. And limiting the balls in play means you're limiting the randomness and the variability in baseball. And, I, you know, everyone who watches baseball is going to agree that there's a lot of luck in the game. Yeah. Um, so sort of guys who have high strikeout minus walk percentages like a Garrett Cole is right. going to be a lot better because they're just limiting the amount of variability in the game. Uh, and another one would be a stat like uh, Sierra, which sort of takes that idea and says, well, you know, pitchers do give up some contact and they're partly responsible for that. Uh, it sort of measures that. And then there's PCRA, which does the same thing as Sierra, but instead of using Sierra's inputs, uses barrel percentage and just says how good is a pitcher at limiting barrels uh, and the definition of a barrel is any ball that's hit at 95 miles per hour without a launch angle in the optimal degree or more so and, and that's yeah. just getting the middle of the bat right the sweet spot yeah it's sort of like it's sort of like getting the sweet spot in the bat yeah okay uh, hitting the ball good as is a good way to right, 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 it. right right on it great contact so pitchers who limit that can be very good. You know, and there's, in pitching analytics, you know, there's a, it's a topic that I discuss a lot with people I know. It's, it's, there's a lot of different definitions of what pitchers can really control. And I was talking to somebody today, and they said, you know, if you really wanted to create the, you know, the best metric you look at what a pitcher actually controls, you have to account for the umpire, you have to account for the type of hitter they're facing, you have to account for the ballpark, you have to account for the division, you have to account for all these things. And, and, no, and what what about weather, though? Yeah, and sure, you'd have to account for the type of weather that you're playing in. You know, Again, you know, if it's raining outside or anything more windy, you know, that's going to affect how far the ball travels and stuff. And so any no stat does that. Right. The reason that no stat does that is because it's just really hard to do something like that. It's really hard to account for how good the you know how good the umpire is on the strike zone. It's really hard to account for you know do they pitch differently because of the type of the hitter that they're facing. Now, some pitchers will say I just throw to my strengths regardless of theirs. Others will say well I take their strengths into the consideration, and it's different for everybody. So that's why it's generally speaking really hard to get one measure that really figures out everything picture can control so I think when I'm sure people who are into their traditions listening to this are just going to be like well this doesn't make sense to me at all and that's fine I understand that but if I had anything to tell them I would tell them that the goal of pitching sabermetrics is to just figure out what pitchers are capable of controlling and that's up for heavy debate and that's why sometimes people might not understand is because not everyone agrees on what they control and Moving forward, you know, we're going to try our best to figure figure it out. But uh, you know, it's I think that's fun conversations to have. I think it's interesting. But uh, if 
get back to the original question about the three stats for each, I would probably say for offense, I would say Wayne Grade Plus, Directed uh, Woba, and then either DRC Plus or ISO. And then for pitching, I would say uh, strikeout minus walk percentage, um, Sierra, and PTRA are the most common stats that I look at. Um, tell me about this. Um, obviously, you mentioned earlier about hitters and the shit. And one of the biggest complaints, and I always we know that whether you're like the right, like you shake to the right or you shake to the left, depending on the batter. Why can't people be taught to, if you know they're shifting to you, you just, you know, hit the other way to boost your average up? Isn't baseball about average getting on base? So why don't hitters actually do that? Like, hit to the other side of the shift? Or other So, uh, that's a good question. Question about the, the shift, and so the goal of the shift isn't necessarily to also, you know, to, obviously getting people to hit into it is great, but it's also it's to get the hitter to change their approach. So the hitter gets shifted on. It's because that they think that when they're at their best, they're hitting the ball in that area, and the hope is that when they see the shift, they'll try and change their approach, go the other way, which might means they're not being, they're not playing at their best level. Just get on, you know, get on base. Maybe, maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. You know, some hitters are are like a Jeff McNeil who can just sort of adjust on the fly. And if he gets shifted, he can make that subtle adjustment to just get some hits the other way and get them off the shift. Um, other hitters are, you know, a Joey Gallo type who just say, "I don't really care if you shift on me. I'm just going to try to hit the ball 500 feet every time." You know, and so if you're a hitter. Uh, I would, if you're a developing hitter and you're getting shifted on a lot and you don't necessarily have the power to hit it over the shift or hit it into the outfield consistently, then yeah, you need to work on changing your approach. But if you're a guy like Aaron Judge, just ignore the shift and hit the ball as hard as you can. Um, but you're going to be productive regardless of that shift. It's not it's not going to kill you too much. If you're but if you're, let's say, a D Gordon-type guy who relies on putting the ball in play and running a little bit more, and, and you're getting shifted on, you're hitting into it, then you need to change your approach. Like, that's that's on you. Um, but the goal of the shift is to hypothetically get the hitter to change their approach. So if Joey Gallo goes up there and is like, ah, the shift's on, I'm going to try and hit the ball the other way, now all of a sudden you've sort of taken away the threat of him hitting home run over the right field wall, which is... If he gets if he gets a single the other way, the other team's happy because he just didn't hit the ball 400 feet, which is what they want. Same for Aaron Judge. Judge, you know, if he gets a single the other way, the other team's thrilled because he didn't hit the ball 400 feet the left center field, and that's what they're going for. Now, they'll take the single if it means them not going for a home run. Some guys are going to be exceptions like Aaron Judge and Joey Gallo who have insane power the other way. But for the most part, getting them to change their approach at the plate is a good thing. Uh, With that being said, if you do not have the power to be an Aaron Judge or Joe Gow or even just somebody who has good power, not great power, then you need to change your approach. Alright, so a little bit of baseball. Um, this, This was from Brian Hulk. The Yankees are going to use available areas of stadium for camp. Yanks players will dress in home visiting and auxiliary clubhouses. 
Both bullpens and batting cages will be available. Concourses will be used. Pitchers may even throw on flat ground in the Great Hall. Um, they also won't be able to say if any player gets the coronavirus. They'll just... People will have to think for themselves. Um, Aaron Hicks, James Paxton should be ready to go. Judge says he should be ready to go. John Carl Stanton, he should be ready to go just at DH. Hasn't tried any bit of the fielding. And that's kind of weird, right? Four months off and your calf still messes up. So, if, if it was you, right, and you can't say if anybody has COVID, wouldn't it be better just for this season to just not say anything? Don't say whether it's an injury. Don't say just keep us in the dark. How would you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, the whole situation, transparency is very important and it's a necessary part of the job of athletes to be transparent about what's going on in their lives. Um, I like, you know, MLB is saying, like, you can't announce when players are getting COVID. Then it's kind of like, you know, you're really tying the team's hand on that. Because then if a guy gets hurt and they say, oh, he's got an injury, then you just assume, you know, you know what the injury is. They're telling you. But if a guy is all of a sudden just not playing and you're like, I don't where did he go? You just assume he's on the COVID thing and they must have gotten COVID, right? Right. So I, I don't know what the right answer I mean, that's that's a question that's just way above my pay grade. I'm, you know, I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm not smart enough or, like, knowledgeable enough about the legality of it all to, to answer that. But I will agree that it's weird and it's, you know, you know, if somebody tests positive and they just disappear, you know, you're going to be like, well, that's kind of strange, right? But I, I don't know what the right answer is. You know, is the right answer just saying whatever happens this year, if somebody gets hurt or if they have COVID, we're not announcing it. I don't know. Transparency is important. But also, like, I understand from a player perspective not wanting people to know that you have it. Because uh, then people might be pressing you. And, you know, fans can sometimes get a little aggressive with people. Fans uh, get aggressive? Never heard of it. Like when I was reading that today, when Brian Cashman said it was his understanding that you know they don't announce when players go in the COVID pool, I was kind of like, that's weird, and that's like, is there like like a legal reason for that? Is it you know it's a legality thing? hamstring or a pull or a calf, right? What's the difference of us knowing that they got the coronavirus? See, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of with you there. That like, whether I feel like you're more, like you're more curious to know if they got the coronavirus because the coronavirus is more life threatening in that case. So, also, like, what if, what if you were walking and and you see Aaron Judge, right? And, and he has the coronavirus, but you don't know. Now you go up to Aaron Judge, take a picture with Aaron Judge possibly, and now you could potentially have the coronavirus. So wouldn't it be easier if we knew? Because if, if they're, and maybe they're not okay with their injuries getting out. 
maybe not. But coronavirus, this is something serious we need to know. We we don't need to know if Judge pulls his hamstring. That that affects nobody except for except for the fact that he can't get on the field, right? But for something like this serious, this is something we have to know. Yeah, I mean I'm not gonna say you're wrong because you're not wrong in that instance. I I'm just gonna say that maybe there was an agreement between the players union and MLB. Like there's just there's so many things that it could have been that I just don't know. I don't disagree with anything you said. I agree that if someone has the virus that they should know about it. Um but it's it's definitely like it's weird is what I would again reiterate is that it's just weird. It doesn't really make sense. Uh but hey uh if you get it, obviously I hope that you recover from it and be okay, but I transparency is important and I would say that it's better to just tell everybody whether you know it's COVID or an injury, but I don't know all the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, um, speaking in Europe here when it comes to, like, the analytics part of the game, um, there are, like, players that people say there are, there are analytics of delight that players are, are for them. Why is it that nowadays that we talked about this about way earlier about, about how the game is more driven with numbers and stats, which I know baseball's always been about numbers and stats. So I guess my question to ask you is, why are owners and general managers doing like are, are now are on this analytic train where it has cost some big time free agents a, a decent amount of money and I, that I've noticed over the years because owners are and, and more general managers are really not paying these players what, what they what they deem they're worth. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like before the twenty nineteen off season, the previous two off seasons. You know, it was not good for the players. You know, they weren't they weren't getting paid what they should have been getting paid, right? Uh, you know, this past offseason, I think, was, was was a good step forward, almost to immediately be undone by the pandemic negotiations. Uh, but part of it is this idea that when you sign a contract, right, you're being paid for what you're going to do, not what you've done. And part of it's that the other part is you're just donors are cheap, right? Like, they, they want to save money as much as possible. To them, it's a business. And I'm not saying it's not a business, it is a business. But, you know, look at what the, happened with the Phillies in the first few months of the season. They signed Bryce Harper, and attendance shoots up. A jersey sales go up. Harper is making the money off the field. And that's what happens if you're an owner. If you sign the big player, if you sign the Bryce Harper, you sign the Mike Trout, and you, know, you sign the Garrett Coles, People will support you because it shows that you're trying to win. You know, a lot of people were upset with the Yankees because they hadn't gotten, run out and gotten that big free agent pitcher. People were upset with Cashman and Steinbrenner of like not going out to get the big pitcher. People were upset with the Angels' GM ownership because they didn't sign Garrett Cole. They didn't sign pitching. Like when they do go out and go get that player, right? People will support that. Like, thank you. Thank you for rewarding. You know, our invested interest in the team, right? You know, they they want to see them get the big players. I mean, I've never seen a fan base as excited about signing a player as I was seeing the Yankee fan base when they're all the sign. I mean, they're still still making jokes about it, and it happened over half a year ago now. So that's I mean, but that's the power of it, right? Is if you just 
if you just ignore the short-term cost and you think of all the money you're going to make off of jersey sales and ticket sales and everything, it more than makes up for the contract. Now, I'm sure the Phillies would say, yeah, we'll do that contract over and over again. And also, that contract with Bryce Harper is not that bad in terms of annual contract value. So, people really got to like, one, it's not that the numbers say don't pay the players, because they do. A lot of analytics play. people advocate for paying the players. It's that because GMs are given a budget, and the owners set that budget every single year. And if GM can't go over it, then, you know, there's no room to grow. But, you know, it's mainly just on the owners to uh, pay them. That's, that's what matters to me. You know, just, just pay, the, pay the players. But not everybody thinks that way. You know, it is a business. And we'll see. But I'm, I am hopeful that the owners start paying the players more. I thought this last offseason was a good step forward. You know, Garrett Cole got a record contract. Steven Strasburg got a great deal. Anthony Rodone got a great deal. You know, according to the players, were getting really good deals. Yeah, Monty Gondola got a really good deal for a catcher. You know, I, you know, I know the future of the game. You know, I, at first I thought it was, well, the owners aren't going to budge and the players just take short-term deals. But now, you know, who knows what's going to happen now. This pandemic has really kind of set everything back to square one in terms of negotiations and everything. But I would say the analytics people and analytics don't say don't pay the code. They do. It's just about paying the players the right amount of money. And sometimes that means the right amount of money can be different. You know, if you had told me going into the season or going into the offseason that Anthony Rendon was going to get eight years, $240 million, I would have told you, yeah, that sounds about right. Or if you had told me that Garrett Cole is going to get nine years, $224 million, I would have told you, well, that seems rather high. But Steven Strasburg got eight years, two hundred forty million. Am I gonna, you know, I'm not really gonna argue Garrett Cole getting his contract if other pitchers are getting really high dollar amounts. And it's all, so it's all based off the market and the market decides it's on season. So they got that. So Aaron Judge, right? He would be a free agent when he's thirty-one years old. Um, yes. No one has to argue his talent, right? But with him not playing the amount of games they would expect. What kind of contract would you give him, and how do you think he would produce from, let's say, thirty-two through thirty-six? What What would the stats say? Um. So that's a good question. If you were a free agent at age thirty-one, don't expect a contract over five, six years. No, that's. Um, so, I he's really good defensively. Uh, you know, obviously playing games, people have an issue with, but, you know, freak injuries happen. You know, got hit on the hand, that caused him to miss a lot of games. But even when he plays, I mean, as I've been telling people, if you're a 5-1 player, a 5-1 player in 100 games, that's really impressive. Really, really impressive. Uh, and that's how good he is. But when he hits 31, you know, he'll probably start seeing a decline around 34, 35. So you probably want to give him a five to six, probably a five-year contract of 125 to 130 million. And he can produce roughly at the clip he has been in those years. It's when he turns 35, 36 that you got to start to pay attention to somebody at his body type. Because it, 
is more likely to break down as he gets older. But that's not to say that he doesn't turn into you know, a very good hitter. You know, he could be a Nelson Cruz type and just be somehow ageless and in you know, a great DH. You know, he's the good news for him is that he's good defensively now, so he will he will continue to be good defensively for a year. The question is whether or not he maintains that as he gets older, or does he have to transition into a DH? I think it's more likely he transitions into a DH just because of his body size. But when he's a DH, he could very well be a Nelson Cruz type DH, where he's just an unbelievable hitter. Or even an Edwin Encarnacion type DH, and a very good hitter. So, I think Judge is going to be, he's, he is without a doubt all main level talent. It's just a matter of, can he play enough to get there? Uh, and it's funny that you say that because me and Nick have been going back and forth, and I love Judge. I think Judge is great. And here's the old argument that we have today. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I will, I will take Judge over George Springer. I will on that hill 12 times out of 12. Would you say that the numbers would validate what I'm saying that Judge is better than Springer based on the numbers of what you analyze? The numbers would validate Aaron Judge being a top five player. Thank you. It's, if, if you do, I don't necessarily like doing this when guys miss a lot of games, but if you go by more for 650 plate appearances, the only people who have a higher value than Aaron Judge in the last three seasons are Mike Trout and Mookie Betts, the two best players in baseball. That's, that's it. That's how good he is. Like, when he's on the field, nobody produces better than him other than Trout. And Betts, Betts and Judge, they're very – you can make an argument that Judge at his peak is very interchangeable with Betts because, you know, he's just a much better hitter. He's developed into a, you know, close to that level defensively. The only difference with Mookie Betts is just a little bit better of a base runner. But Judge is really good. I Listen, George Springer is very good. A very good baseball player. He is, he is a probably around a top 15 player in baseball. And probably most people don't think that, but that's probably the truth. He's very good. But it's Aaron, Aaron Judge, even, even in 100 games, is putting up five win seasons. I, again, there are maybe one or two other guys in baseball who can do that, and that's Trout and Betts. So the argument against Judge is he's not on the field, and that's, that's fair. Like, I don't know, that's, you can hold that against him. But when he's on the field, there's just not many pe- people better than him. That, you, all that I so get. That all I get, and, and you just made James get very happy, too aroused. Um, but, but it's just that he just doesn't play enough for me, man. If this was a regular season with no coronavirus, he misses 60 plus games, right? So it's, it's hard for me, even, even with that stat of assuming that he gets 600 plus appearances it's just he's not playing enough, you know. He 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 would have missed fifty to sixty plus games. He he would have missed over two hundred and fifty at bats. So if you can't get on the field, no matter how good you are, I do not care. You are not helping the team 
right? And if he's like this now, when he's 26, 27 years old, how is he going to be when he's 29, 30? So that's why, right, the next two seasons, he could play 150 games, have, have 40 home runs, have 110 RBIs, right? And then the Yankees can be duped, and they can sign him to a contract. Look at what happened with Severino, man. Would that contract be worth it? Also, who's to say he comes back next year, he wins 20 games, Yankees get duped again, or someone gets duped again. So, I mean, the thing about Severino is, first of all, he got hurt, and his injury was recoverable within a decent time frame, but the Yankees, by trying to be nice to him, didn't put him through the proper procedures that they should have. So, that hurts. The other thing to keep in mind with Severino's contract is it's only $10 million a year. Like, it's not, it's not that high. It's, it, for a team like the Yankees, it's, it's not. Uh, you know, it's sort of similar to the Aaron Hicks contract. It's $10 million a year. They can eat that and be fine. The other thing to consider about Severino is, yeah, when he's on the field, he's unbelievable. Uh, obviously, losing him to Tommy John hurts. And, you know, I, that's, you know, whether or not he actually is able to get on the field at all, in the next couple of years is an interesting question, but I believe I believe he'll be fine. Players once they have Tommy John nowadays seem to recover and be okay. Uh, especially someone at his age. You know, he's relatively young, so he's fine. Uh, but you know, what I would say about judges, it's fair to hold the games played against him. What I would also say is that in context, you need to understand that he missed fifty of those games because he got hit on the wrist by a ninety-five mile an hour fastball, right? Like, yeah. So, like, that's not his fault. That the that other, one, I, I don't blame him. But the dive, right? Say the something. Dive, the dive is, you know, it, it's fluky. It can happen to anyone. Is it because he wasn't well-trained enough? You know, the Yankees had so many issues with their training staff last year, right? So, is that... When it comes to Yankee players and injuries, I sort of just kind of, like, throw my hands up and just say, I don't really know. If, you know, if it's on the player or if it's on the team or what, but uh, I I think it's okay to say like he needs to play more. That's fine, like that's fair. <laughs> I'm not gonna say you're wrong, but I would also say like you know understanding that he missed 50 of those games because he got hit on the wrist, something he can't control. Uh, then you know even when he played last year, he was very very good. I mean he had the most. When he, what's weird is an accounting stat like defensive runs saved in right field it really relies on you playing a lot. But he led all right fielders last year in defensive runs saved, despite playing way less than most of the right fielders in baseball. That's how good he is defensively last year. You know, so he's very talented. I think it's fair to say that like, you know, he needs to play more. I also think it's fair to say that he is a top five player in the game. Like. I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I just it just depends on what you value. If you value guys who put up volume, then yeah, it's it's understandable. If you say, you know, we're just looking at talent level and that's what matters and Aaron Judge is top five player in baseball. It's different for everybody. It's it's a similar argument for a guy like Chris Sale and how good he is as a pitcher. Is Sale's last three seasons he has he's not pitched nearly at the level he did before that. And now he's getting Tommy John, and so now it calls into question, like, well, how good is he going to be moving forward and everything? And that's a legitimate question that Sale's going to have to prove once he comes back. 
and th so that's where I first heard all the stats thing. You mentioned that you are working on creating a stat, so tell us about that, and that you also at one point was with the Nationals. When things go back, do you have a job? Uh, so I'll answer that second question first. I don't know. Um, there's a lot that needs to be discussed, you know. They're talking internally, they don't really know what the future is, but a lot that's really unknown with the situation, and that's understandable. Like, you know, it's not, it's not easy to know what's going on with all this. It's really, there's, are we even going to be able to start on time next year? I think we are, but, you know, are we going to have, minor, you know, the minor league situation is very complicated next year, you know, they don't worry about that. So there's a lot of things that they have to answer. The answer is, do I have a job at the National next year? I don't know. I'd love to go back and work for them. They're, they're really nice to me and great to me. So, uh, to answer uh, the first question about the stat I created, it's called Play War. And so what Play War is, it's a pitching evaluation metric using AWERA, which is just basically shred that last walk percentage as like an ERA on a scale. And creating a war value based around that. And the fundamental things, again, as I was talking about earlier, like, you know, there's a lot of debate on what pitchers can control and what's predictive and what's descriptive. Uh, and so we're sort of like trying to figure out if this war value can tell you how good a pitcher could be. You know, if somebody that has a really good game more, but not necessarily bag actual or baseball reference for. We might say, well, actually, this pitcher is someone you look out for or doing better next year. Got a guy out and even it walks, so that means that it could hypothetically be better next year. And because it's been proven that strike that strikeout ability, so strikeout minus walk percentage is a good indicator for next year or year n plus one production. So that's the point of the statistic is to sort of say, you know, all things held equal, we think that the player because they have a good K war will be better in the following season. Uh, because they strike a lot of guys out and don't walk a lot of guys, or they're really good at limiting walks or whatever. So that's what we're hoping for. Um, you know, I work, my partner is the National Baseball Operations intern, Jason Fixell, and he's, he's a wonderful, really smart guy. Uh, and we've been working on this. We're, we've got a few years done. We're hoping to get a few more years done in the next week or so. And we're hoping, my hope is to have the full stat out and completed by the end of July. A lot of data to go through, so, you know, it's, it's taken a while, but, you know, it's, it's really interesting. You know, does it lead to anything? I don't know. Will it tell us what we think it will? I don't know yet. But I think the point is to just sort of have something else out there to help evaluate pictures. Cool. Awesome. Well, Max, we're going to end this with what we call rapid fire. So I'm going to ask you some questions. Basically, these are going to be baseball questions, and well, and there's going to be more baseball analytic questions, and you're going to give me the best answer that come off the top of your head. All right. I can do that. Okay. Okay. Who, um, projected um, going forward, who do you think would have the better numbers? Robert Acuna, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., or Fernando Tatis Jr., which player going forward would have the better career based on based on numbers projections? Uh, Acuna. Okay. Um, Mookie, um, Mookie Bell, like, um, Cody Bellinger, or if it's, if Cody Bellinger or Mookie Betts, who do you think is important for the Dodgers if they want to have any success? Uh, 
Sometimes you may not want to have too, too much information, but it's better to have the information because it's going to help you. That's why I always hated what Mark Teixeira said. You don't pay me to butt to left. You pay me to hit homers and RBIs. I get that. But if you got the third baseman to where the shortstop and second baseman would be, and you got all that side, 
if it gets you on base, bump that ball to third, man. You're going to beat it by two miles. Red card, red card, sir. Red card. Hanging, hanging on the rim, man. Hanging on the rim. Um, uh, Trey Wingo said, I saw something interesting, and this will actually make you happy. So, you know how you were excited about some some guy named Cam signed with the Patriots. Whatever oh, you mean, you mean Cam Newton, number one? The new Patriots starting quarterback? Absolutely, of course I've heard about that. Who who hasn't heard about that? That's literally taken over ESPN the past two days. So of course I I have heard about that great quarterback. You know, the the Vegas odds for that I quarterback went from the went from twenty five to one to twenty to one, and conference champion went from ten to one to nine to one. So. Yeah. Yes, I I saw that this morning. Obviously, sad news today. You know, along along from the legendary legendary Rob Reiner dying. Uh, minor league baseball got canceled. And uh, that that just sucks. You know, a lot of a lot of good young ball players, man, can't play. They knew it was gonna happen, but it's. And that's why it's good. It's kind of good for the sixty rock, you know, man rosters. You could get these guys in the club, like the Angels' young prospect Joe Adele, you know, Ray's young prospect Juan DeFranco. But what about for these new guys, man? And the Tigers finally signed their first overall pick today, Spencer Torkelson. The Tigers are most likely probably going to put him on the roster. Um, so I guess with no minor league baseball. I guess they would have to just do it on their own, you know? But then again, how much do they do? How much is not enough? You know, will you have coaching help from video chat? And it's just one thing that really sucks. And there was also a first trade today. Former Yankee shortstop Jorge Mateo went to the Padres for a player to meet him later. Um, that was the guy... We got a, we traded away in the Sunny Gray deal, also along with pitcher James Carpillion and outfielder Dustin Fowler. Uh, so first trade out of the books. Um, you know, still got the same trade do- deadline, August thirty first, and uh, hopefully the Yankees will be ready, ready to go. So far, no player is opting out, but. Amy Cole expected to be due within the next couple days. Maybe tomorrow, maybe the day after that. And you know what, man? I, I put it this way. I'd be shocked if he plays. That's, that, that's, all, that's all I'm going to say. And, and Mike Trout, he has, he has no reason to play with the Angels. I'm, I'm telling you right now, they're, they're really not going to do anything. Even through 60 games, they're, they're not going to do anything. I agree. Um, I 
Alright, so be before we have our last topic from this morning, it goes into a little quarterback debate. Follow Grunt Talks MLB. They do very great things. They're on Twitter. They have their own website by the by the lead man Darren. They also have, you know, this this other guy named James and his and his podcast called Puckluck with the big Steve. They got G and T, Bob Bobby Thompson and Julian Gallardi. And they also have Mr. Mike Scudero with Yappin' Yanks. Very good site. So check it out. And uh you know, this morning James had the audacity the audacity to say there's quarterbacks that are better than an eighty percent Ken Newton. Take taking away taking away Patrick Pat, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and the overrated running back, Lamar Jackson. Tell me other quarterbacks, starters or backup, it don't matter, who are better than Ken Newton. First off, I'm disappointed. That how dare you, how dare you say some, some, some disrespectful stuff about the great Lamar Jackson, you clown. Stop, stop. <laughs> you're embarrassing yourself. No, no, you're a clown. Secondly, more importantly... Okay, for the quarterbacks that came with a bit, and obviously I'm going to say before I'm going to say it again, obviously we start with the great Patrick Mahomes, we're going to start with Russell Wilson, we're going to start with Lamar Jackson, that's three. Okay, then we got, right, now we're going to go to, we got Jimmy Garoppolo, that's better. Stop. We have Ashley Murray, that's better. Who? We got Kyler Murray from oh, Arizona. He's, he's played one year. Stop yourself, so you're man. embarrassing yourself. You're embarrassing. 80% Cam. You said 80% right. so, He's so, still more so, talented okay. than Kyle Murray. Stop, you're embarrassing yourself. Kyle Murray. You're embarrassing uh, yourself. I will, die, I will die on that hill. Go die, man. <laughs> He's never healthy. Stop. He's never healthy. No stop, better. stop, stop. Ne- no never better. healthy. Never healthy. Stop. No stop. Josh Allen? <laughs> now you're just being an idiot. Now you're just being dumb. You, you might as well... You, you might, if you're going to say Josh Allen, you might as well say Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is better. Oh my god, you're high now. <laughs> Guys, he's literally high. He's literally junk. Sam Darnold is better. Alright, alright. Now you definitely gotta stop. <laughs> but Bob Rashusen said so. Bob Rashusen said so. I mean, that, that's. Oh, a... oh, oh, yeah, that's right. He leaves the meeting of the minds. <laughs> he, he makes some salient points. I don't know what to tell you. He makes some very salient points. Um, to a tongue of Iloa. <laughs> alright, alright. Relax. Um, relax. Okay. Oh, and um and then lastly, um well, I will say this though. He's better than Jared Stidham, if that makes you feel better. Oh gee, thanks. <laughs> See guys just- this this is what, even though sometimes he's such an idiot, he's at least he's funny. You know, at least he don't mind making himself look stupid. So, I there will never not be a time where 
I won't want to do Oh, wait, Deshaun. Oh, yeah, and Deshaun Watson. Oh, my God. Go home. Go home. Stay in, stay in dirty jersey. Stay there. Don't. Fantastic, you're right. Tom Tom Brady's better than Cam Newton, you're right. There you go. That, that's factual. And Drew Brees. So And Drew Brees. Mm, maybe. Drew Brees is the champion. And Aaron Rodgers. Oh Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Go home with that. And Aaron Rodgers. I totally forgot about Aaron. I forgot about the great Aaron Rodgers. Because in the words of Stephen A. Smith, he's a bad Stay off the weed. t-shirt giveaway and uh he asked he asked three questions maybe you didn't see this on twitter because you know you don't care about us because you're a hack but uh it was it was a gita t-shirt and he asked three questions and this was this was solved in a matter of five minutes with 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 julian putting a tweet and the three questions were what did jeter do in 2000 that no one else has ever done what was Jeter's ritual every year uh, I think the date was 2003 something like that and then the third question was who beat out Jeter for the batting title in 2003 by two points and the answer is World Series MVP and All-Star Game MVP. He rubbed Babe Ruth's head on the plaque. And Bill Miller, the former Red Sox infielder, beat Derek Jeter. And Mr. Daniel37640559 got got the t-shirt. And possibly by the end of the week, we're going to do most likely another one. And it's going to be a Garrett Cole shirt. So, not that you guys, you know, follow Julian for giveaways. Not that you listen to our pod and their pod for giveaways. But this is the kind of thing that I just thought of today. Because, you know, why not? Baseball's coming back. And, you know, people got to get happy. We're in horrible times right now. So... You know, this is a way to create a little bit of fun. And this way, you know, Julian's great t-shirts get out there. And uh, it's it's fantastic time. Oh, I love it. I think that was a fantastic idea. I, I didn't see it because I wouldn't qualify. But I really, really am glad that um, that the person won it. Um, that's really good. Baseball is, coming, is on the come up. Um, and let's time to get happy. And last quick thing before we get out of here, um, Nick, you like sports, right? Sports? Oh yes, I love sports. Oh, that's great. Like you, you like you like going out and having a good time, right? 
Yes, I do. I find it very relaxing. So, you know, you know, in order to have the things you want to do, you know what you have to do? What's that? The things you want? Wear a mask! But why? I don't want to wear a mask. They're uncomfortable and hot and I can't breathe. That's a good point. Let's put it this way. There are those things. But would you rather have no sports? Would you rather not go out? Would you rather just stay home and do nothing? Or wear a mask so you can have all the things you want at that? Yeah, well... But why do I got to do something that I don't want to do? I have a mind that can choose to wear or not wear a mask. Yeah, but you also have to think about the other people that are just as affected as you. Why would I care about the other people? I am selfish, and I don't care about nobody. I'm young, and I can fight this thing. Well, if you want to be selfish, then you don't get to have your way of life. You can just stay home be nothing and just not have anything if you want to be selfish. Fine, smart voice from the sky that I never heard before. Where do I purchase a mask? You can purchase it at any convenience store nearby or any place that has masks. You can go to your local gas station, your local CVS store, anywhere I want. You can even order. See, you like the Patriots, right? You're a Patriot fan, am I correct? Yes, sir. And you got Cam Newton, am I correct? Yes, sir. Why don't you order a Patriot mask with your boy Cam Newton on it? But but wouldn't that mask be like $200 because it's a custom mask? Nah, you can get it for a low price of 30 bucks. $30? Whoa! Why don't I go out there and buy one right now? Just go online to and you'll find yourself a mask. Remember, guys, if you want the way of life, if you want sports to return fully, if you want fans in the stands, wear a mask. It's as simple as that. Trust me, this is not a political statement. This is not a liberal versus um, conservative battle. This is common sense. If you want sports, if you want to go out, if you like the way of life, wear a mask. Plain and simple. Just like Max said on our show, be smart, be safe, wear a mask. If you want sports to return, wear a mask. That's right. This commercial has been brought to you by the Sports Dudes, led by Mr. James, and followed by the great actor Nick. And no one paid us to say this. We believe in wearing a mask, and you should wear a mask too. Thank you.